0: Lord, our hearts are aflame for you right now, God, as we desire more of you. God, we have just experienced your touch and your presence in worship. And, Lord, we just want more of you, and we want to love you more and more, God. And we ask, Lord, as we open your word, as we look into, God, basically your face there that we see. Lord, may you continue to change and transform us into the people you want us to be. God, we want you. We need you, Lord. And God, in this this moment we have, Lord, not that long, really, and even before we partake in communion, God, may your Holy Spirit speak loudly to us. And may you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, Lord. God, give us eyes, Lord, to understand what we see, Lord, the principles and the truths before us. And, Lord, let our hearts receive, God, your word to each one of us, your message to each one of us today. May our minds and our hearts not wander this morning, but, Lord, may we be fully attentive to you, our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. I read about three elderly religious leaders. Uh, they they were sitting down and they were talking story with a certain interview uh, that came from this local news station. One of the questions was asked this, when you lie in your casket and your friends and family are mourning over you, what would you like them to say? Well, the minister there said, I'd like to hear them say that I was a loving husband a good father, and a great spiritual leader in my church. The priest who was being interviewed also said, I would like to hear that I was a wonderful servant of God who made a big difference in his community. Then the rabbi who was sitting with them said this, I would like to hear them say just one thing. Look, he's moving. Well, for the rabbi, I guess that was the real proof of life. As we continue our study in 2 Corinthians, Paul comes in and defends his credibility by mentioning how the Corinthian believers have been powerfully saved by the very gospel Paul had preached to them. So their life, so them, this church, their life, these believers in Christ, was the only validation he needed so i titled our message this morning the proof of life the proof of life we're gonna be studying second corinthians chapter three the whole chapter this morning and the proof of life is seen through this and this is our outline number one your regeneration number two your comprehension and number three your transformation so let's begin here The proof of life is seen through, number one, your regeneration, your regeneration. Second Corinthians chapter three. Take a look at verse one with me here. It reads, do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? We'll stop right there. Now we begin with Paul out These rhetorical questions and both really answer with no and basically he's saying, do we need to be com- do we need to commend ourselves again? Commend meaning do we need to introduce ourselves again? In other words, do we have to like do I have to reintroduce myself to you? Is that what I need to do? Or he goes on to say, do I have to bring epistles? Remember, epistles means letters. So, do I have to bring letters of commendation, or maybe today we would say recommendation to you guys? Do I got to bring this letter of recommendation, or do I need to carry letters of recommendation from you guys as I travel around? Paul asks rhetorically here Do I need a formal letter of recommendation? He's like, Come on, you guys. You guys know me, you know who I am. Now, it was normal for traveling preachers to bring with them some official letter from the home church to validate him who was speaking there. But you know what happened here with the Corinthian believers? False teachers had come into the church and they attacked Paul. They attacked Paul's credibility. They were criticizing him. They, they opposed even what Paul was teaching them. And they were like, hey, Where's Paul's papers? Yeah, Where's his credibility? Can you really believe what he's saying? So they question what he taught. They question his calling. They question him as an apostle and minister of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, as Paul is putting out there, hey, come on, you guys know me. Do I really need this letter of rec- recommendation? Here's the thing. Paul was the one who led them to Jesus Christ. He's the one who preached the gospel. He's the one who planted the church there in Corinth. That very church was done by Paul. So you can see like, why Paul's like, hey, do I really need to prove myself to you? I mean, why are you believing these false teachers and what they're saying? Well, Paul goes on here in verse 2. He says, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men, clearly you are an epistle of christ ministered by us written not with ink but by the spirit of the living god not on tablets of stone but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart Paul saying hey you are our epistle you corinthian believers you're our letters of recommendation written right here on our hearts it speaks of paul's loving testimony of those God has wonderfully worked in. He, he holds their testimony on his heart. And what God has done, he says, is known and read by everyone, by all men. Everyone knows what's happened to you. Everyone. I mean, think about this Corinthian church in the middle of this really wicked, evil city. And here's these believers now, totally in a living a changed life. And then he says in verse 3, basically, which clearly shows that you are an epistle of Christ. You're a letter of recommendation for Jesus. Their salvation validates Jesus' message, the gospel. It, it shows that Jesus is real and his message is real in how their lives were changed. What brings the validation? It is their Change lives by the spirit of god so the regeneration is basically paul saying that letter of recommendation your life you're a living letter your regeneration your changed life is the recommendation of my ministry paul saying and of even jesus christ second corinthians five seventeen says therefore if anyone is in christ he is at, what a new creation all things have passed away behold all things have become new now verse three in the middle says but by the spirit of the living god right it's written their recommendations not by some pen and ink but by the spirit of the living god and who makes us into that new creation it's the holy spirit So that's why he says the spirit of the living God. That's what writes this recommendation as he has regenerated your life. Then Paul adds this at the end of verse three. Paul adds the recommendation is written not on tablets of stone. What's he talking about there? Well, it refers to the Ten Commandments when God took his finger and wrote the commandments and the law, the Old Testament law on the tablets of stone. So Paul's saying, in other words, this changeover in the Corinthian believers in their lives did not come through the law at all. No, but this recommendation, this letter was written on tablets of what? Flesh, which is the heart Paul is saying. That's how the gospel works, right? God's love comes into a believer's life and the Holy Spirit changes the believer from what? The inside out. The law could only try and affect ex- external behavior. you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this. But the gospel brings changes to the internal heart. And this is the proof of life. Paul's validation is not written in characters, but in the changed character of the Corinthian believers. One pastor put it this way. The author of salvation is Jesus Christ. The ink he uses is the Holy Spirit. The parchment that he writes on, the human heart. I love that picture. It really brings together what Paul is putting forth here. Hey, you guys are that letter of recommendation. Verse 4, he goes on and he says, And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Paul saying that is our trust or our confidence in what Jesus Christ Does What the gospel does in a life of a believer. Verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also, verse 6, made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, Paul is saying it's not that we think we're sufficient, like like we have sufficient ability, like it's done because of what we did. No, it's not that. It's not that. It's not from ourselves, but really it comes from God. That sufficiency, that power to save, that ability to change the heart, to change the life comes from God himself. He's saying he's the one who saves. It's not us. It's not our, our ability. We don't have this power in, in ourselves. For he says, God is the one who enabled us. He's the one who made us sufficient. He gave us the ability. He powered us, verse 6, as ministers of the new covenant. What well, was the old covenant? The old covenant was through the law that you were to please the Lord. But now the new covenant, we find that that's where salvation is. It's right there in the new covenant through Jesus Christ, through the gospel of Jesus. So Paul puts it this way. It's not of the letter of this spirit. Uh, it's not of the letter, meaning the law. It's not the law. It's not the Ten Commandments. not the old covenant, but of the spirit, which is the new covenant, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. How does the letter kill? Well, the law, the commandments show us our sin. It shows us what's right and what's wrong. It shows us where we went wrong, but then the law condemns us for sinning, condemns us for our failure, and the penalty is what? Death. So that's why he says the letter, the law, kills. But on the other hand, in the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. It's through the gospel, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit gives us this new life. our our hearts are changed we're a new creation and it prepares us for the eternal life that he has given us too and that's a life paul saying this it's nothing that i've done or we've done as ministers or it's or it's nothing that you've done in like trying to follow the letter of the law but it's by the power of the holy spirit that your life is changed through the gospel through jesus through His work, and the power of the Spirit in your life. I think about it this way. Only Jesus can breathe in us this new life, like He breathed into the apostles. That's what has happened to believers, and this is what Paul is saying to the Corinthian believers. It's not us, but it's God who's done this work. I remember, uh, or if you remember, in Acts chapter 3, when that lame beggar was in front of the temple, and peter and john came by and and he asked for a handout from them and then you remember what peter said peter said silver and gold i do not have but what i do have i give you in the name of jesus christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk and then what happened instantly right this beggar was healed he couldn't walk He, he 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 had not the ability and then all of a sudden he's healed he's he started jumping around. He was walking around giving praise to the Lord. And then all the people there worshiping in the temple ran over and saw this man. They're saying, was this, wasn't this? was this that that beggar we always saw in there? He's been there forever. And now he's running, he's jumping, he's walking, he's praising God. What happened? And they saw Peter and John and they ran over to Peter and John. And they're like, it's, a, it's you guys. You guys healed him. It's you guys. And what did Peter say? He said, men of Israel, why look at us like we healed this man out of our own power or even our own godliness? No, it wasn't that. It was Jesus Christ who healed that man. And then he shared the gospel with them and thousands got saved. Well, that's Paul here. Paul saying, hey, it's not me. It's not me. It's Jesus who saves. And it's, the, it's that power who saved you. We just brought the message. We we don't have that sufficiency. We don't have the that ability. You, your lives, you have been changed by Jesus Christ, and so Paul's point is this: your changed life are the living letters of recommendation. You're the recommendation. You're the living letters. You're that. Your life, right there, is the validation for our ministry and even for Jesus Christ. Your changed life are the living letters of recommendation. Someone wrote this poem. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by deeds that you do, by words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Good word today. Good, good way to bring it home to us see your life is this open book to people all around you and the question does it reflect salvation does it show that jesus is in your life does it show that the holy spirit has changed you and you're different than from before i i was thinking about this myself oh and Am, am I a real living letter here that Paul could proudly hold in his heart my testimony and show as a living letter recommendation to Jesus Christ that validates the gospel? Well, yeah, but I think about, well, sometimes my, my type is a little crooked, you know? <laughs> yeah, Maybe the print is a little blurred. Sometimes it's not as clear of who I am. Is it clear to others that you are saved and changed by the Holy Spirit? Think about it this way. Many people may never read the Bible. Many people in the world, they, they may have not really heard the gospel, or they have and they don't really think about it, but they will read you. They will look at your life as in, like an open book. If you say you're a Christian, if you say, oh, you follow the Lord, if you say, yeah, I pray to God, I know Jesus, and they start reading you, are they going to find what you are saying about yourself? Paul saying, this is what we are to do. Your changed life are the living letters of recommendation. That's the proof of life, your regeneration. Let's go on to number two now, your comprehension. Your comprehension. We've seen number one, your regeneration. Now, number two, your comprehension. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 7. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. Okay, Paul now mentions the ministry of death written and engraved on stones. What's that talking about? Well, it's what he brought up already, the letter, right? The letter kills. He's bringing up uh, the law, the Ten Commandments, which, remember, no person could obey perfectly. It shows us that we are sinners, and because of that, we're condemned to the penalty of death thus Paul says this ministry of death engraved on those stones. Well, he also says that this ministry of death, these tablets, what was given, the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant, he says was glorious here in verse 7. What is that? Well, the law was holy. The law, it was holy because it came from the Lord and it was glorious in that it came in glory. In glory. In Exodus 19, when uh, Moses received the law of God, it was on Mount Sinai. Remember, he went up to the mountain. And the mountain was covered with the Shekinah glory cloud of the Lord. And God was there with Moses and met with Moses. And the Lord himself wrote on the stone tablets, right, with his very finger, the law of God, with his own finger there. So no wonder Paul says this was glorious. This was given in glory. It was from God. It was His holy law. Then Paul says in verse 7, And when Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, his face glowed Now His face, uh, the face of Moses, because of the glory of his countenance. His face glowed with that glory that he was with the Lord. And it was so much so that Israel could not look on his face. So, Then Paul makes this note that the glory at the end of verse 7 was passing away. This glow of the glory on Moses' face would eventually fade away. And what he's saying, he's he's giving an analogy so is the law, so is these commandments, the old covenant. It was glorious in itself, but if it would eventually fade away into the new covenant. That's the idea here. John MacArthur wrote, The old covenant had the glory of God in it because it revealed his glorious nature as holy and just. That makes sense. The law, right? Uh, uh, His perfect uh, uh, requirement for us. Then MacArthur said the new covenant reveals God's glory in a full manner because it not only reveals his holy nature, but it also manifests his compassion, mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Verse 8, Paul then says, How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. So Paul is going on here, and basically he's saying, so how much more glorious is the the ministry of the Spirit, which is the gospel, which is which is the gospel. Now the gospel came by the glorious, I would say, coming of Jesus who saved us, right, from really what the law showed us. So Paul's like saying, hey, if, that, if the law, the ministry of condemnation, right, which, which the Ten Commandments, if that had glory, if that was glorious, then think about how the gospel, the ministry of righteousness, how the gospel makes us right with God, how much more that will be glorious than the, the law was. And in verse 10, he says, even as glorious as the old covenant was, basically he's saying, it is like there's no glory when compared to the glory of the new covenant. So the new covenant, like, outshines, outglories the old covenant. In verse 11, he says, for uh, what's passing, the old covenant, as it fades, while what remains is the new covenant. So even the old covenant, its glory is fading. So even though the new covenant is more glorious than even what the, the law was, it's it's fading, the law is fading, and so that it even eclipses it more. The new covenant outshines the old because, you know what, we see right here, it does what the old couldn't do, make one right with God. That's why. It comes with the pa- uh, compassion of the Lord, the love of Jesus of God and Jesus coming to die on the cross with us. That's the new covenant. That outshines the law saying, you better do this or you're a sinner. And if you're a sinner, then you cannot know God. You cannot go to heaven. But the gospel comes in even with a better glorious message that, no, you can know God. And though you're a sinner and you've sinned and you've broken the commandments, provision in the cross I love what Galatians 2 21 says I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless Paul writes for if keeping the law could make us right with God then there was no need for Christ to die Christ would have died in vain but he didn't die in vain that's the new covenant verse 12 therefore since we have such hope Paul says we use great boldness of speech. Verse 13, Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Now, as we come into these two verses and even uh, starting in this section um, from verse 7, it's a very hard passage to interpret. But but let's, let's take a look at it step by step. Now, Paul first says in verse 12 that, that, that because this is such a powerful tr- truth and because there's so much hope in there, Paul's saying, hey, I don't hold back. I don't hold back on the message. I don't hold back on the new com- covenant. I let that glory shine, basically, is what he's saying. Unlike verse 13, Moses, who had to put a veil on his face. Now, we know in Exodus 34 when Moses finished Uh, speaking and preaching the word of God to the Israelites, he put a veil on his face because it was too much for the Israelites to see. But when he spoke the word again, he took the veil off. But when he was foul, he put the veil back on. And when he went and met with the Lord again, he took the veil off. But when he came down the mountain, he had the veil on But when he preached the word, he took the veil off. And then when he was foul, he put it back on. Why did he do that? Well, we know here Paul is re- revealing that it was too much for the Israelites to handle this glory light. It, it was overwhelming them. But Paul says this law, this glory, the, the glory on, on Moses' face was really passing. Here's what what Paul is saying. In Moses putting that, that mask on his face... The Israelites only saw part of the glory. They couldn't handle the full glory. So they only saw part of it when Moses was preaching the law, teaching the law, the commandments. Then he put it on. That was only part of the glory. So Paul, the idea here is Paul saying the veil over the glory of Moses' face was a picture, really, of revealed truth and hidden truth. Revealed glory and hidden hidden glory and that's that's what he's putting forth here paul's picture of the glory of the law shining on Moses' face represents what god revealed at that time at that time the lord revealed his holy requirements according to his holiness and righteousness and the penalty of sin which reflects god's requirements of justice for god is just sin must be punished so they can only handle so much because they knew, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm breaking the law as Moses is teaching them. So that is what was revealed at that time. But Paul's saying, hey, there's something more, though. There's Moses in putting a veil on his face was like there's something more. There's some more hidden truth. There's hidden glory to come later. Under Moses' veils is also the glory of the truth about God's grace and mercy, his plan on how he would make a way to pay the penalty of sin through the death of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So Paul's like, peel back the veil and you'll see that glorious truth. That is the answer to the law. That is the answer to your sin. That is the way to be healed and freed and forgiven through Jesus Christ behind that veil. Well, if Jesus is the Messiah and that shines this brighter glory, then why don't the Jews see that light? Why is that? Well, verse 14, Paul says, but their minds were blinded for unto this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ, or through, only through Christ. Verse 15, but even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. So see, Paul explains that Israel still has their minds blinded. They still couldn't see past the law. They still are in really unbelief. That's why, to this day, Paul's saying, this same veil on Moses, it remains unlifted. Their veil, Their heart is veiled. When they read the Old Testament, they don't see Jesus in the Old Testament because of that veil, because of that unbelief, because they can't get past that. Jesus said in John 5, 46, if you really believe Moses, talking to the Jews, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But they're blinded with this veil of unbelief. Yet, verse 16, Paul writes, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, what? The veil is taken away. He's saying, but, but listen to this, you guys. Whoever turns to Jesus, what does that mean? Believes in him, that he is the Lord God. That he came down to this earth. What does that mean? That he died on the cross for our sins. So what Paul is saying is whoever turns to the Lord Jesus to to find salvation, to find forgiveness for your sins, whoever turns to Jesus and relies on the work on the cross, relies on him, believes in him, they now see the truth. The veil is taken away. That this isn't all it. Oh, we can. Well, I gotta follow the law. I gotta do good works. Oh, I fail. Oh no, God, God doesn't like me. I cannot go to heaven. That it's not, not it. No, there's more to this glorious truth of the gospel. Whoever turns to the Lord Jesus and relies on His work on the cross sees the truth, and that means the veil is taken away. It's lifted off. And then the scriptures make sense. And then, oh yeah, I see Jesus in the Old Testament. Oh, I see Jesus in these prophecies of how he's going to die on a cross and suffer for us. Oh, I see Jesus that he is the Messiah who's going to come and bring the love of God to us. We see Jesus. And isn't that what happens? I mean, I don't know about you, but if you read the Bible before you're saved, yeah? I I tried. Before I really gave my heart to Jesus, it was part of the process. Well, I, I need to read the Bible. Because someone was witnessing to me. I go, whoa, well, I, I should read the Bible and get to know. So you start in Genesis. You're like, whoa, I don't get this at all. I'll skip to the next chapter. Oh, Exodus is Leviticus after that is even worse. You know, Forget it. You don't understand it. But when you come to Jesus and you start opening the word and the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you, it's, wow, I see it. Jesus, you're right here wow, look at you and Matthew, look what you've done, and you start weeping and understanding his great love for you. That's what Paul is saying here. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord and relies upon what he did, not the letter of the law, then you see the truth and what's going on. Now, understand Paul is also speaking about these false teachers who've come into the church, and many of them are what we call Judaizers. They're the ones saying, hey, you've got to get back the law in order to really be saved and Jesus is good but you know what you got to become a Jew again Jesus was a Jew and and so you got to be a Jew too and the, the commandments are important these false teachers were coming in and making light of what Jesus had done and focusing again on the letter of the law but we know we can never be perfect in following the law right Good lo- good works only go so far because we all blow it and we cannot do it Only the cross of Christ, His provision, can save. So the point here is this. Your true understanding of the gospel takes away the veil. Your true comprehension now, your true understanding of the gospel takes away that veil. that Well, I got to do good works or else God won't love me. Your true understanding of what Jesus has done Takes away the veil. That veil of unbelief. Yeah. That Israel had. Well, 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 I I, I don't know. That, that's all we have is the law. You got to do that. And they kept trying, trying to be right with God, trying to do good works, giving the sacrifices every year when Jesus died once for all. Your true understanding of the gospel takes away the veil. A light has to be turned on for us today. A true comprehension and realization in what Paul is putting forth here. You know, one time, after getting up early in the morning when it was still dark, I I saw this spider on the ground, and I didn't want it to get away. So before even turning on any lights, I quickly got the Kleenex, and I smashed it. Smashed it dead. Well, after I turned on the light and I opened up the tissue to see that it was only a crumpled up piece of black thread. Yes, I was the mighty thread killer. I saved Kristen from that scary piece of thread that she wouldn't, so she wouldn't have to face it in the morning, right? Well, some of us believers are still trying to battle that scary spider. That's not really there. Because Jesus is taking care of it. We must turn on the light, so to speak. We must lift off that veil and see the glory of God's love, His grace, and have true comprehension of what He's done and dying on the cross for us. That we would totally rely on that, not on what we do, our performance. Or oh, if I do right, then, then, then I think I'll make it to heaven. Sometimes I talk to these Christians, even Christians who go to church and and, and on and they and say, Well, I hope I make it to heaven. You guys, in Jesus, we will get to heaven. In Jesus. Our hope is not, well, I hope I get there. Our hope is, yeah. Can't wait till that happens. Where are you today? Are you one of those believers that, yeah. Yeah, Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, but on the other side, you're like, well, I don't know if God really loves me. Well, I, I, I don't know. Maybe he'll let me into heaven. Maybe. Maybe I, he's not working in my life because he doesn't love me. Hey, when Christ died on the cro- cross for you, that was the biggest show of love that could he, he, have, he could ever do. Yeah, Humbling himself to come to this earth to die on a cross for you and your sins. That's the greatest show of love. Let's not be those types of believers. We're uh, we're basically, we're pretending, oh yeah, Jesus, he died on the cross. We're pretending to comprehend all this while living really in legalism. In the 1960s, the Chicago Bulls weren't doing so well. Before one game with the Celtics, coach uh, Johnny Kerr stood in a locker room and tried to fire up his team. To his forward, he said, Bob, Get out there and pretend you're the best scorer in basketball. The coach turned to his guard, Jerry, get out there and pretend you're the best defender the game has ever seen. To his center, Erwin, he said, pretend you're the best rebounding, shot-blocking, dominating center in the game today. Well, the team was all fired up. They stormed the court, went into the game, and lost again. But with their heads down, they went back into the locker room. The coach was just depressed, and he didn't know what to say to his team after that. Don't worry about it, said Erwin Mueller, the center. Just pretend we won. When we live under the law, you try to win, but you can't. And you pretend like you truly comprehend Jesus died on the cross for me. I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? The only way to victory is surrendering to Him. Surrendering your failures to Him. To understand that Jesus is there with open arms saying, bring it. Bring your failures. Bring your weaknesses. Come here in brokenness and i will forgive you i will save you i will love you and let the spirit move in that that way i'll tell you that's the real proof of life your true comprehension on these things let's go to number three now your transformation your transformation we've seen your regeneration your comprehension and finally the proof of life you're a true believer is your transformation second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 17 now Paul writes now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord there is liberty oh wonderful verse here these last two verses are just powerful verses for our lives now Paul says the Lord God gave the uh, who gave the law is the same spirit Spirit that works in the lives of believers—that's what he means by the Lord is the Spirit, the Lord God who gave that law. He's the Spirit. It speaks of the Trinity as the source of both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It's the same God. He, He hasn't changed or nothing. It's the same Lord. And I love this: where the Spirit of the Lord is, where the Spirit is doing His work, and that's in the life of each one of us believers. There is liberty. There is freedom, you guys. There's freedom. Freedom from our flesh. Victory over our flesh. Victory over Satan. Think about this. There's freedom from fear. Fear of failing God and not getting into heaven. There's there's freedom from, from the flesh that holds unforgiveness in our hearts. There's freedom from the flesh that that puts hate towards someone. There's freedom. But in context of what he's saying, also, Paul is saying, when the Holy Spirit comes into the believer's life, he or she is free from the bondage of sin and the law. No longer is the law being held over you as some heavy burden you got to do you got to perform or god doesn't love you god won't save you there's freedom now in the spirit john phillips wrote the lord sets us free from legalism in all its forms and i like this he says law is replaced by love something different happens you guys in us that's that, that 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 change the regeneration in us that no longer do we walk trying to oh, do the commandments and, and, and please God and, and no longer it's like, oh, I have to do this, I have to. No, now when Jesus is I want to do this. I want to do this. No, the law is replaced by love. I heard a, a pastor tell once this story how when he was younger, when he was a boy, right, his mother would get on him, hey, comb your hair before you go to school, yeah? Hey, why are you wearing that that old shirt? You know, wear, put on a nice shirt. You know, hey, your clothes don't match. Yeah, you know, while he was growing up, as, as a kid, mom would always be on him. But then this transformation happened to him when he became a teenager. He met a girl in school he liked. Suddenly, it wasn't have to. He wanted to, right? He wanted to comb his hair. He wanted to put on that nice shirt, yeah. And go on when he met this lady, what made the change? Love. Love. No longer is it I have to do this, but now in Jesus' is I want to do this. That's the spirit working in our hearts. That's what happens when we walk in the spirit. We find that freedom, you guys. There's a freedom in that, where we want to live for God, where we're no longer tempted toward things. We find that victory, the triumph over those things, that those habits that had a grip on us for so long. We find freedom. Why? Because we don't even like it no more because we love Jesus, and we want to love Him more, and we love to do what is right. You know i was thinking this morning even this that that we find freedom not just with from the law being held over us from but also from us holding a law over other people where the spirit of the lord is there is liberty there's freedom then our last verse verse 18 but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is another one of those verses you highlight, right? Paul writes here, we all. It includes every single believer. Don't look at this all and say, well, everyone else but me. No, You, and you, and you, and you, every one of you. But we all, includes every believer, he says, with unveiled face. Now this relates to what he just talked about, right? With Moses and Israel. No more with unbelief like Israel. With comprehending what Christ has done for us. Relying upon him totally for our salvation and our life in him. He says with that unveiled face. We view God, basically, like never before. When Moses took his veil off, Israel saw his whole face. Well, with us, with unveiled face, we can view God, his truth, who he is, like never before in his glory. He says believers now are beholding. That word means like gazing into a mirror. That's the basic sense of it like some people like to really gaze into the mirror, right? Oh, you look so nice. No. (laughs) But the idea is, is that gazing, that looking into that mirror, it really speaks of that close and intimate look where you're really, really looking. Not so much about the reflection, but your look, the looking part. It's about really the word speaks about this continual, interested, inspection so understand it's not so much about the reflection but it's about the inspection here with no more unbelief the veil gone blocking the sight believers in Jesus now can behold their glorious amazing God I like what uh, Pastor Sandy Adams of Calvary uh, Calvary Chapel in Atlanta I think Stone Mountain he said this beholding as in a mirror is this is to spend time in the presence of Jesus. I think that's the clearest, most, most straightforward meaning of what Paul is saying when he says, with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord. You know what? It's spending time in the presence of Jesus. It's gazing into him. It's, it's looking intently to him. It's in, in a way of inspection. Spend time in the presence of Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. How do I spend time in the presence of Jesus? Well, of course, what we're doing today, reading and studying the Word of God. James said in 1, 22 through 25, remember he talked about how if one is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like someone who looks into the mirror and forgets what he saw and walks away. Our Bible is the best place to see the glory of God. That, that's God in there of, of who we are, but who He is now. Yeah? Of, of His character. Of his heart, of, of what's in his heart? He loves you so much. What, did he, what does he give us daily? Mercies are new every morning, right? He gives us his strength. He's, he's more powerful. Last Wednesday we read, hey, God, the Lord said, is there anything too hard for me? Right? When you look into the word of God, you're spending time in the presence of our Lord God, Jesus. There's a second way to spend time in the presence of Jesus, by taking time to be in prayer. First, it's reading and studying the Word, but secondly, it's by taking time to be in prayer. I'll tell you, ever felt the presence of God in your time of prayer? Ever felt that? Oh, I love those moments. I love it when God is just there and you're talking to Him and I mean, there's been so many moments in my own devotions, times on Wednesday night when we're praying, or even when I'm driving, I all of a sudden I'm overwhelmed with the presence of the Lord. I just start weeping. I have my eyes open. Don't worry, I'm still driving. I'm driving safe. There's a third way we can spend time in the presence of Jesus. It's by truly entering into worship. Truly entering into worship. A.W. Tozer said, true worship that seeks union with its beloved and an active effort to close the gap between the heart and the God it adores is worship at its best. I love that. True worship when we're singing to the Lord like this morning when we're with him that's spending time in the presence of Jesus. Many times I, I, when we're worshiping anytime worshiping, I just picture myself going to the feet of Jesus before His throne. yeah, We're just bowing down before Him. How do I spend time in the presence of Jesus? Well, by reading and studying the Word of God, by taking time to be in prayer, by truly entering into worship. And number four, by constantly having Jesus in your mind. That means thinking about Him, meditating even on His Word, continuing like talking to Him, like, like a friend who's always there by your side. That's another way. And today, this morning, I was thinking, I want to give you one more, number five. There's another way that you may not think of this as a way to spend time with Jesus, and that is having fellowship with one another. Fellowship with one another. And I was thinking about this because the other day I was meeting with uh, one of the Calvary pastors here, and um, as we talked about the Lord, I was just blessed with the presence of Jesus, yeah. As we fellowship, we we're talking about Jesus and I could see Jesus is, Jesus in him and I hear Jesus speaking to me through his words and and we we're speaking, you know, as we shared with one another and and, and it was just great. We even we, just the two of us. We just took communion together. And it was a special time. So even in fellowship, you can spend time with Jesus. That is, you guys, what it means to behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Well, what happens? What's the result when believers do this? Well, look at verse 18 again. It says, and being transformed. They are being transformed when you spend that time in the presence of Jesus. Transform here is a a Greek word that means a continual progression of transformation. The, the word really here, uh, we get our English word from the Greek, is, is our English word metamorphosis, right? Like how a butterfly, right, turns from that caterpillar into a butterfly. The change happens in us. We're transformed into a whole different person, I have to say, from the inside out. And what are we changed into? What are we continuing, continually being transformed into? Well, it says the same image. The same image of what? Of what we're beholding. What are we gazing into? Who is that? Who is that? Jesus. Been talking about Jesus, right? Spending time with Jesus, which is, Paul says, accomplished from glory to glory, which is one level of glory to another level of glory. From one level of growth to another level of growth. So Paul says as we spend more time with Jesus we become more and more like him like Jesus Christ we start to change our heart our mind our character who we are we become more and more like Jesus and that's really the plan that's God's plan for you that's God's will for you in your life if you wonder well, God what's your will for me It's to be more like Jesus that's his will Yeah, he has a specific will and plan for each one of you. But what's his overall real plan for you? Well, Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And it is all accomplished by who? Well, we see here by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit who resides in us. The Spirit in us. That means... It's not you, right? For only God can do that powerful work, powerful transformation from the inside out. It's not you. You can't sit there and go, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be nice, I'm going to be nice, I'm going to be nice, I'm going to be nice. No, it's the Spirit who does the work in you as you spend time in the presence of Jesus. Something happens there. When we come to church and gather here and worship the Lord, Something is happening. That's why it's important for us to gather together and worship. That's why it's important that you come on time. Yeah? And get the full time of worship. That's why it's important we pray and read our Bibles every morning. Spend time with Jesus. Because something is happening and we're being transformed in all of that. God does that work from the inside out. Gabriel said in his commentary, The glory is displayed not so much outwardly on the face but inwardly in the character all right our last point is this your likeness of jesus comes as you spend time with jesus your likeness of jesus comes as you spend time with jesus do you want to be a godly person do you want to be a beautiful person Person, do you want to be like Jesus? Well, it comes your likeness of Jesus comes as you spend time with Jesus. I found this uh, some statistics on the true cost of beauty. The true cost of beauty. First of all, they talked about how women regularly spend two hundred twenty five thousand three hundred sixty dollars on their appearance in a day. No, in, in a lifetime. In a lifetime. Yeah, some say, well, yeah, my wife, I don't, one day, easy. No, but in a lifetime, they, they put it $3,756 per year or $313 a month. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's a little low, you know, for my wife, you know, kind of you think. But, hey, guys, there's another statistic. Men spend $175,000 on their appearance in a lifetime. That's $2,928 per year or $245 a month. They say fitness fanatics will spend an average of one hundred six dollars per month on gym membership, classes, and uh, like the supplements, right? Uh, with men actually spending more than women in this area of fitness. Either way, right? Both men and women, we are all concerned about how good we look, <laughs> yeah, right? But we want to be healthy and all that too. Well, here's Paul. He encourages. He encourages us all that God is making you and I into beautiful people, people who are like Jesus, people who care about living like Jesus, people who care about doing the things, thinking the things, loving others like Jesus does. And it's all done by spending time with Jesus. Your likeness of Jesus comes as you spend time with Jesus. How have you been with your time spent? With Jesus. Not too good. Could be more. I believe the Holy Spirit right now is prompting you and I to do more. He's calling us to go deeper. He's calling us to, 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 to do more. Take more time. Make more effort to spend time with Jesus. And, and I know the Spirit is moving. I know deep down there is that desire. Will we heed that call? don't like who you are today wish you could live for more wish you 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 can get rid of some habits and have more victory spend more time with jesus yes that's god's plan that's god's design that is what god is doing right now right here to make you more like jesus and you know why so we would be like Moses and reflect the glory of God. I'll close with something Robert Mary McShane said. And he had once called the believers uh, in, uh, that behold Jesus and that are changed from glory and glory, he called them glow-in-the-dark believers. I like that. But McShane said this in light of that. The Christian is a person who makes it easy for others to believe in God. I love that. That's what it's about, our life, our character. It shines out this new life we have with Jesus. It shines out Jesus, and that is the proof of life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for just your word. Thank you for speaking so strongly to us, God. We need you, Lord, so much more. God, we need to understand, Lord, the truth and the reality of what you have done and comprehend that, Lord. That we would struggle no more with legalism, that we would struggle no more, Lord, that you don't love us or or we're not saved, but that we would know by the promises laid out here in your word. Your word is true, that we are saved when we believe and rely upon you. And God, thank you that you regenerate us. Thank you that we will not stay the same. But as we come to you and in your wonderful plan in our lives and what you've designed, Lord, as we spend time with you, there is a transformation that is going on. Lord, I need that transformation. I need that work done in me. I am not satisfied, Lord, in who I am. Lord, thank you. You have brought me a long, long way, but I still am not what you have planned for me. Then God, I stand here, as with all of us here today, we cry out to you, God. Lord, transform us, Lord, from glory to glory. In Jesus' name, amen.